My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. And today we are looking at Matthew chapter 27. Today we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of Matthew 27, which is the beginning of Jesus' trial, his death and his burial. That's what we're going to cover in Matthew chapter 27. And uh, this is a poignant moment. This is just after Peter has remembered the words of Jesus when you hear the rooster crow, which was the trumpet sounding. It wasn't a real rooster. Remember, go back and watch my video on that if you haven't seen it or listen to the podcast that wasn't actually talking about a chicken. And uh, remember that this is transferring straight on to that morning. So that happened overnight and now we're in that next day and we move on to Matthew 27 verse 1. When morning came... All the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, this is the official meeting of the Sanhedrin. Okay, that's the the, the gathering of the ruling uh, elite in the religious circles. And basically, they'd had a trial overnight, which was illegal. You weren't allowed to have a, have a trial, a religious trial, according to Jewish law at that time. Uh, during the night. So they realized that they needed to do one during the day to make it all legal. Now, uh, it was exactly the same information. It was the same examination. Uh, Adam Clark says this, it was as contrary to all forms of law uh, to proceed against a person's life by night. They seemed to have separated for a few hours, then at the break of day came back together again, pretending, pretending to conduct the business according to the forms of law, as if it had not happened overnight. So they lead him away and they take him to Pontius Pilate. Now, the Sanhedrin give Jesus over to Pontius Pilate. He's the Roman governor. He is been, has been appointed over Judea. Uh, and the reason they had to do that was because they the Sanhedrin didn't have the power to be able to put Jesus to death. Carson says this, Pilate was in fact appointed prefect or procurator by Tiberius Caesar in AD 26. Prefects govern small troubled areas and judicial matters. They possess powers like those of the far more powerful proconsuls and imperial Legates. In short, they held the power of life and death. That was Carson. Bruce says this, the ordinary residence of procurators was Caesarea on the sea coast, but it was their custom to be in Jerusalem at Passover time with a detachment of soldiers to watch over the public peace. And uh, so it's a fair way. It's not now a fair way from Caesarea to Jerusalem because you can cover it by car in an hour, an hour and a half. But you know, back then it would have been a fair distance. Philo, uh, the ancient Jewish scholar from Alexandria, he described this particular pilot and he said this, his corruption, his acts of insolence, his rapine, what is rapine? That means his violent seizure of people's properties, his habit of insulting people, his cruelty, his continual murders of people untried and uncondemned and his never ending gratuitous and most grievous inhumanity. So this is not a nice guy. Pilate is not known as being a nice guy. And 
The Jewish leaders had every reason to expect a favorable result when they're handing Jesus over to Pilate. And because we understand that he was, you know, a, a cruel, ruthless man. And he seemed to have no feelings whatsoever to other humans. And I'm sure that they thought that Pilate would just very easily put Jesus to death. Now, Pilate was not interested in the charge of blasphemy against Jesus because that was a religious matter, was of no concern to Rome or him. So all the chief priests and the elders essentially brought Jesus to Pilate with three false accusations. One, that he was a revolutionary. Two, that he incited the people to not pay their taxes. And three, that he claimed to be a king who was in opposition to Caesar. You can read about that in Luke chapter 23. So then we move on to verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, went and hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced. Uh, let me read that to you again. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Judas, unfortunately, was not filled with repentance. He was only filled with remorse. He knew exactly what he'd done wrong. He said, I've sinned. Uh, I've betrayed innocent blood. He was more sorry for the result of his sin than he was for the sin itself. There's a huge difference in being sorry for the consequences of your sin as opposed to being sorry for sinning. And by throwing the money into the temple, which was into the inner sanctuary, which is, you know, you're only allowed to go there if you're a priest, Judas was trying to implicate the priest, saying, hey, listen, this is we did this together. Uh, you're also guilty. It was an act of a desperate man, Bruce says determined that they should get the money and perhaps hoping it might be a kind of atonement for his sin by you know, giving the money back. And all this happened seeing that he had been condemned. Judas expected, maybe, that Jesus would miraculously deliver himself from his captors and that when he saw that Judas was condemned, uh, maybe remorse seized him. Um Surgeon Spurgeon said this, uh, maybe when remorse seized him and he carried back to his fellow criminals the reward of his infamy. Uh, we don't know what was going through the mind of Judas at this moment, but he definitely said something about Jesus' blood being innocent. Spurgeon went on to say this, Judas had been with our Lord in public and in private, and if he could have found a flaw in Christ's character, this would have been the time to mention it. But even the traitor in his dying speech declared that Jesus was innocent. So the religious leaders say, well, it's not lawful to put this money back into the treasury because it's the price of blood, uh, which is incredibly hi hypocritical of them. 
they didn't want to define themselves or defile themselves with the price of blood, even though that was the price they paid to Judas. And they treated, you know, Judas was their servant, the servant of the religious leaders, and they treated him badly. And Poole said this, tempters never make good comforters. <laughs> people that lead you to do wrong things are never going to treat you well. And uh, I'm sure many, many people have testimonies and stories about that. Poole said, God in Deuteronomy 23, 18, had forbidden to bring the price of a whore or a dog into the temple. This they had interpreted of all filthy gain. France said this, the treasury, perhaps the source from which the money had been paid to Judas, would be the natural place to deposit the money left in the temple, but its use as blood money made it unclean. A burial ground, itself an unclean place, would be a suitable use for it. So what does Judas do? He goes and hangs himself. He, he has remorse, he has despair, and he commits suicide without repenting. John 17 calls him the son of perdition, and we are assured that he is in an eternal punishment. Um, now, Matthew's account of Judas' death has to be looked at alongside the verses in Acts chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, which says that Judas fell headlong into a field, burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Now, most people reconcile this by suggesting that Judas hanged himself and that his body uh, fell down and burst open. Carson said this, If Judas hanged himself, no Jew would want to defile himself during the Feast of Unleavened Bread by burying the corpse. And a hot sun might have brought on rapid decomposition till the body fell to the ground and burst open. So then we move on to these words. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Now, this is interesting because Matthew says what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, but it's actually recorded in the book of Zechariah chapter 11. Matthew says the word was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, even though we find it recorded in Zechariah. Uh, some people think that Ze Jeremiah spoke this prophecy to Zechariah and he recorded it and thus being the word spoken by Jeremiah, but recorded by Zechariah. Some people think that Matthew refers to the scroll of Jeremiah, which actually also included the book of Zechariah. Nevertheless, the Bible tells us that this was a prophetic word. What a sad moment for Judas as we move on to think about our observations for today. A sad moment because he was like so many people today who reject Jesus. Uh, and then even when they realized that their rejection of him was foolish and that he really is who he said he was, pride stops them from inheriting eternal life by accepting the free gift of salvation. So I think that's just sad for Judas because he's going to endure an eternal torment because of his own pride. How many people are like that today? If that's you, by the way, please don't be like that. You, you do not want to spend eternity in eternal torment because of your pride here on this earth. And I think Jesus showed us more than anybody in what we're about to discover in these verses that are to follow. Jesus himself cast off all pride. He had none. He was about to be nailed naked to a cross in, in the height of shame for you and for me. So 
we're reminded once again that God's word is full of prophecy, prophetic ministry. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophetic words about himself in his life, death, and resurrection. So yet again, we have Bible prophecy being fulfilled, which tells us if the Bible says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So if you ever look at things and go, well, I don't think it's going to happen like that, then uh, more fool you. Uh, the Bible says something, that's what's going to happen. Jesus declared it to be so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that, Lord, for most people watching this, they have had an opportunity to repent of their sin, not just be remorseful, not just be sorry for their sin, but to turn from their sin and and accept then your free gift of salvation. I pray, Lord, for anybody who hasn't done that, that they would do that right now, that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that God uh, raised Jesus from the dead, like Romans 10 says, and then they will be saved. I pray, Lord, that none of us would have pride that would stop us from being saved from an eternity with Jesus. And Lord, thank you again for the reminder that your word is full of truth. And if your word says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. That's what we've noticed through history and we will continue to notice in the future. Thank you for the surety of your word in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day. Thank you.